welcome back to the Heartland Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership and the way of Jesus. My name's Clint, and welcome to part two of our series in this podcast, uh, talking about the sermon series Sacred that we're going through as a church, and this is week two on marriage, and we have our panel here today. I'd like them to just do a quick introduction of uh, who they are and what their role is at our, at our church. Sure. My name's Nicole Weidekall, and I oversee operations. Hey, how's it going? My name's Tony. Uh, I do behind-the-scenes video stuff and live stream, and I'm on the teaching team. Hi, my name is Brian, and I oversee communications. My name is Rolando Mendoza, and I, I just, it gets so boring when I just say I'm Dave, but I'm Dave. I'm on staff here. Okay. I thought I'd try something new. It didn't go over all that no, great. No, that's, that's great. That's not confusing at all. So <laughs> what we'd like to do in this conversation today is hit on some of the themes that we wouldn't really have a chance to get to on a Sunday morning, or that might not be the best venue. But in the context of a conversation of people just trying to figure this stuff out uh, would be a better location to have these conversations. And again, it's about what would be God's plan or God's best for our sexuality and relationships. And as I mentioned, this conversation will be about marriage. So I'm fond of starting with uh, words and terms and what we mean by them at the very least, so that us on the panel can kind of achieve some clarity on what we mean by that. So I'll just kick it out first. What does the word marriage mean to you? Uh, Some other follow-up questions would be, is marriage fundamentally a a spiritual arrangement? Is it a legal one that's recognized by the state? Um, Yeah, how would you describe what a marriage is? I'll take a step. Sure. When I think of marriage, I think of uh, a unwavering commitment between two people to love each other for a lifetime. In and also in that, that it's a romantic and/or sexual relationship, and there's an exclusivity sort of packaged into that as well. I'm agreeing to love this person only they get my body sexually, um, and for a lifetime. And I think baked into that, or what makes it so special, is this idea that it's a fertile ground for unconditional love to be practiced. That you're going to live life day to day in close proximity with this person. You're going to see their faults. They're going to see your faults. But you're committing to love in spite of those faults and to stay in relationship at all costs. Gotcha. There's, yeah. a, there's one stab. Mm-hmm. That's great. What else? Yeah, I think of, um, I, you know, I wear this ring every day that Melody gave to me 30 years ago. That re- almost 30 years ago, that reminds me of this commitment that we've made to each other to do that same thing, to um, love one another for a lifetime. And I think when she gave me this ring and I received it, I didn't really understand what marriage was about. I think that's why she, how she got me. No, 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 no. <laughs> like, I didn't really know all that was involved. And now I see it as the greatest, not to get, like, too super spiritual or deep, but like the greatest spiritual formation exercise in the world. The way to make ourselves more like the God who created us and, in my opinion, gave us the gift of marriage. And every single day we both get to practice that. Every single day we, because we literally do, we have this conversation it's almost daily, like that we commit to one another again today. Because at any time, 
um, this ring doesn't keep me from going astray and pursuing some other person. And it doesn't for her either, you know. But we commit to each other on a daily basis because of the love that's grown between us over 30 years. So I just think it's the most amazing relationship you can have. Yeah, I agree. We are coming, Stacey and I are coming up on 15 years next month. And I remember when we first started having these conversations about this concept of marriage, I think for both of us, we were looking at the wedding, right? Like, oh, this is this big significant moment. And what I have found is that was probably one of the smallest steps that I have taken in this journey was getting ready for that wedding day. Like for us, marriage is a daily choice that sets you up that every day you're choosing into the the big grand love, but even like the little tiny love that you have to, you know, power through and fight through hard times with this person. It's like it, it's a choice every single day. What do you mean? What's the... Sorry. Sorry, we got to share this mic. What's the difference between that grand love and the tiny love? Can you say more about that? Yeah, no. So with the grand love, I think I was thinking more like the, the big romantic gestures, that sort of thing. Uh, but then the tiny moments that sometimes your spouse might even not even see you do. Like if you get up and... Uh, I'll, I, you know, I get her water all the time. That's my thing. I always, I always fill her water bottle up. Water boy. And I think there are times she's going to get so mad when she, see, when she sees this, but I think she forgets I do that sometimes. But that's okay. Like, it's, that's just it, it, little things. I know she does. You, you don't do it so that she'll notice. No, you no. You do it so you I can do. mention it on a podcast. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then sleep on the couch <laughs> when she hears the podcast. Right. Yeah, and I'm sure she does the same amount of things for me as well. It's those little choices, I think. Well, and I, I like what you're speaking to there, Brian, of like this mutual submission almost of who can outserve the other more. Um, and even as I look at my closest friendships and most intimate relationships, there's something about that marriage relationship, my marriage with Tom. There's parts of me that he sees that no one else does. And he's probably the person that I've had to ask to forgive me more than anybody else. And just that return to, to grace and that mutual submission, it's uh, lifelong, I think. And it's a, it's a both-and relationship. It's like the, the best of both worlds and the worst of both worlds, right? Like you've seen each other at your absolute best where you're going, it can't be any better than this. And then I remember one time when Melody and I were both, we, we were having a bunch of friends over that particular evening for some party, and we both got the flu that afternoon. And we are both like seeing each other in our absolute worst. I'm holding her hair back as she pukes into the toilet, and then I'm on the other. You know, we're. It's just like I can't believe I'm sharing these moments with this human being, and yet you look back at them. Not in that moment, you may not think this, but you look back and you go, "Wow, like what an incredible." I, I don't do that with anybody else. She knows me better than anyone else in the world. So, in good keeping with uh, being on staff at a church. Um, you all have laden the term marriage pretty heavily with like some theological content, um, really robust notions of it. But then in the culture, there's just the term marriage, like you can go to the courthouse in Medina and you can get married to somebody by signing some documents. What, what do we make of that? Like, is that, um, how would you relate that to maybe someone who would want to make a distinction between like secular marriage and Christian marriage? And like, what's the deal with a civil union? What, what's that kind of arrangement? And is there anything we could speak to on some of these distinctions? Yeah, well, I think our society, you know, our culture, our government has said that a civil union can exist between two people, 
a man and a man, a woman and a woman. I, I don't know if it goes beyond that or now, but I heard, like, watch the news one time and some lady wanted to get married to a horse, you know, or some guy wanted to marry a tree. I, I don't know how all that stuff yeah. works. But I don't think... Don't both parties need to sign something? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't how know. How are you going to get the tree to do that? Right, how are you going to get the tree? So I kind of, I distinguish, of course, I know this is coming from a pastoral point of view, but I distinguish, like, a Christian marriage as the way God reveals it in his word, um, in the scripture, and really right from the beginning, even though he doesn't use the word marriage, he puts these two people together in this story back in Genesis 1 and 2, and they're to be together for a lifetime, and enjoying one another, and holding companionship with one another, and um, sharing intimate moments together, and I think it's with God in the center of that relationship. So, um, I have the honor and privilege of doing a lot of weddings every year. And I always ask the couples, like, why don't you just go to the Justice of the Peace and get married? Like, why don't you just get a lawyer or a friend? And some people do. But the answer I hear so often is, I want to get married in a church because I want God to be a part of it. Yeah. Well, that's interesting to me. Right. You know, he's like, well, wait a minute. Do you want God just to be part? Like, do you want just a Christian ceremony? Or do you want God to be part of your whole relationship? Because that really is what's best, is that you, know, you get, I always share this diagram of the triangle, right? You got the man here, the woman here, they're starting off together, but they're both trying to become more like God, who if they keep that reconciling third in the center of their relationship, they'll, they'll move closer to one another as they keep him and move closer to him in the center, you know? So uh, that's, that's some of the distinction that I think about when I think about Christian marriage versus civil union or a marriage that you can get on the internet, can I ask, is there something about the the public act of the wedding? Like you invite your friends and your family and you make this commitment to another person in front of your friends and family, assuming you're not doing the courthouse thing. And I'm wondering what what role is that playing? Because certainly in our culture, there's plenty of couples who aren't technically married, but they live together and sleep together and they're committed to each other and they might even say, yeah, we're married in our hearts. Is there something missing there? Is there something like... Well, but if you really want to commit, you should get up in front of people and announce it. Or, or does God smile on those arrangements too and say, yeah, you guys are married in your hearts. And I don't know, well, what do you guys think? All of a sudden, Tony became the host. I really like him asking yeah. these Sorry, questions. I got questions. Yeah, that's <laughs> perfect. Fine by me. You know, I think there is a certain amount of celebration that happens when you bring people together and you're celebrating something that's exciting and mm -hmm. uh, you want to bring people into that. I think there's a certain amount of accountability that's there and commitment when you stand before someone and I guess you know in my years of being a pastor I've seen the other side of that as well um, people who live together and aren't married and and really honestly most of the couples that I end up doing the ceremony for these days they've been living together because they think that's the best way to get used to marriage when statistically it's not it actually hurts you to live together before you before you're married but I've been with couples where um, they, they aren't married legally, and so there's really no protection either. And one day, could be years later, months later, one of them comes home and says, I'm done. Um, get your stuff and get out. And it's, it's sad. I mean, it sounds great, but there's no legal protection or ramification for the person who leaves. They can just go. And man, my heart just goes out because I've just seen it over and over again. Um, so I think in some ways it's, you know, it's a celebration, but it's also a protection um, as well. Uh, and, and it's not the paper that makes you married. 
It's not the ceremony that makes you married. Right. This I can imagine. Doesn't make me married. I can imagine a couple stranded on a desert island who make a commitment to each other and to God yeah. that I think God would honor and or whatever sure. that means. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But we don't live on a desert island. No. We live in community with these other people, and I think there's I think there's something about that of having people surrounding you that can help you when you go through difficult times and encourage you, you know, when you're doing well. There's a, there's a lot of strength to that. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Any thoughts? Well, looking back on my own marriage, just having those folks who were a part of that ceremony, they're still a huge hmm. part of our life today. Um, family and close friends. And to your point, Dave, I think just having that accountability and those folks in your lives that are speaking into it. It's been, it's been important for us. And you don't, you don't think about it. We don't say it a lot. Um, but the people who are part of your bridal party, you know, your groomsmen, um, your maids of honor, it, like those are people that theoretically should be really close with you and are helping you in your marriage and encouraging you along the way. There's, there's a lot of good. Well, certainly I, I can imagine someone like a Clint who was in my bridal party talking sense into me if I was ever so frustrated that I was thinking about just bailing he'd be yeah. like hold up you made a commitment I was there yeah. let me kind of talk you off the ledge you know so yeah. that may play a role as well well I think too going back to the big ceremony and having everybody there and having that be a definitive moment where oh we're making this commitment God is involved I think there is a pitfall that people c- could potentially enter into marriage, have that moment, and then start living their life, but God not really be in the center of it. It was just on that day. But, oh, we're, we're covered, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, where, where's everyone's viewpoint on that in terms of, okay, you had this Christian ceremony, Christian marriage, that means you're good, but then God doesn't remain in the center of that marriage, right? And then you have the flip side. You can have, sec- you can have two atheists come together that maybe they do share the same values, but they don't see a God in that, could their marriage be stronger than somebody who was set up in the right way, but then kind of slowly stepped away from it? Sure. Well, that's, you know, you hear this in scripture a lot, or people quote it to me a lot. I don't know if they realize what they're saying, but they talk about the being yoked together unequally. Of course, that has marriage ramifications, ramifications in business. The scripture talks about that. And what it's talking about is two people with the same values moving at similar speeds in the same direction. So that could be, theoretically, two atheists that have nothing to do with God but have a lot in common. They are equally yoked. Now, they're not yoked in Christ, but they, they have that common bond, and that's keeping them together. What, Christi- what a Christian marriage would say is Jesus is that yoke that keeps us together and keeps us centered. And um, as we learn to become more like him, the gift that we give our spouse is uh, this front row seat to see transformation happening, you know, um, I also think a couple points on that. I can imagine, and maybe this is controversial, maybe there's people who will disagree with this, but I can imagine the atheist couple still undergoing, whether they call it this or not, degrees of spiritual transformation as they learn, if they're doing it right and doing it well, learning to forgive and extend grace, like even if they don't have the language for it, they are growing somehow to be more like Christ. And I, I kind of picture him wooing them towards himself, right. you know, whether they know it or not. Um, yeah, shoot, I had one more thing I was going to say. Oh, yeah, this is it, is that I think one of the the greatest benefits of having Christ at the center of your marriage, at least speaking for myself, is the understanding that Christ has forgiven me of all my shortcomings 
allows me to extend grace to my spouse as well. It's like, if I don't understand that her sin has been forgiven by Christ and she is loved unconditionally by God, um, then I'm going to crucify her. If I don't understand that, when she sins, I'm going to crucify her and punish her or whatever it looks like. But understanding His grace towards me, His grace towards her, as like you said, this reconciling third allows Christ to be this mediator between us where, um, yeah, I'm then able to extend grace to her. And, and likewise, she's able to extend it to me in those moments. And I, as I live in this relationship, you know, like my goal isn't to try to change Melody to get her to become more like me. Like, Even though that's super tempting, right? I think for all of us, <laughs> yeah. right? Especially when we're new to it. It's like, oh, if you would just do it this way. Well, no, like God didn't give me Melody so that I could change her and make her more like me. There, two Daves in a marriage is not better. God gave Melody to me so that he could use her to make me more like him if I will soften my heart and allow that to happen. So like in your example of the two atheists, I, I think that's where marriage is a gift even there, is that the Holy, because this is what I believe, like I call them pre-Christians, yeah, not atheists, right, right, but right. like the Holy Spirit's already at work in their life, whether or not they recognize that, and he's using this gift that he's given us of a Christian marriage to draw through the forgiveness, through the grace offering, through the reconciliation, and he's saying, I'm going to give you every opportunity to see me in your lives right. if you will just take the moment and recognize it. Right, because like biblical principles or the, the, these systems that God has put into place that are there, like they're not only for Christians. Like right. They're accessible by everyone, and sometimes people who don't even believe in God don't realize that they are exercising some of these, these principles, and, it, and they're benefiting from it, you know, and so it's, yeah. Absolutely. Well, and I think it takes takes enormous amounts of intentionality. I mean, I, I just want to make sure we're not painting this picture of, well, as long as it's a Christian marriage, then Christ is going to be at the center and it's always going to be great. Like, it's right. hard. <laughs> and there, there are probably Christian marriages that are struggling in ways harder than pre-Christian marriages, yeah, really atheists. Um, mm -hmm. I think we just need to be careful about that. Well, definitely, if you've got the expectation that your spouse is supposed to be a Christ follower. Like, they shouldn't be behaving like this. That's Don't good. they know better? Why aren't you more like Jesus, you know? I thought he was your Lord. So maybe some ways you sort of expect more of your spouse when you're both proclaimed Christ followers. It can be all the more disappointing when you say, oh, you're just as much a sinner and a mess as I am, you know? <laughs> and, then, and then life happens, you know, for Christians and pre-Christians and everybody in between. Like, life happens, and uh, I do this um, premarital assessment with young couples that are about to get married, and it, it's funny, almost all the time there's these questions on there that they'll answer, like, nothing could cause me to question my love right. for my partner, you know, and they both strongly agree, and there's like five or six questions, and all they're always off the charts, and so the assessment says, you have to go back and talk to them about this, because they don't realize, so I'll ask them, in fact, I just did this last week, you know, you answered this way, so nothing could cause you to question your love for your partner. Nope, and they'll say that right, in, right to my face, and I'll say, okay, so let's say he comes home one day and says he's been sleeping with his secretary for the last two years. And like last week, literally, that's it. Nope, I'd be done. <laughs> I'm like, well, okay, well then, why did you answer the question that way? Well, I guess I didn't really think about that. And so then I, I say to him, I said, well, you might need to talk through, like, what are the deal breakers in your relationship? W what does that look like? Because I think whether you're Christian or not, there, those are things we should be talking about, right? Now, it doesn't have to be a deal breaker if he was sleeping with his secretary, but it very well could be. You know, you could be hurt beyond the point of repair for someone, and 
Um, just you, you need to take a step and protect yourself and step away from that. But that gets into a whole nother, sure. probably whole nother podcast, right, Clint? So I hear a lot of, like, we're using this term Christian marriage, and maybe you can substitute in sacred for that, like the name of our series. Now, I can just hear some of our audience members and congregation wondering, well, the word sacred implies that there's some unsacred arrangements that this, that this marriage thing can take on. And I hear us saying something like, well, not having God at the center intentionally every day is a form of it being unsacred or something that we should be striving toward having the three-fold cord that's not easily broken. But I'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about like a flagship cultural phenomenon, and that is same-sex marriages and same-sex attraction and all these constellation of issues. And just as with the previous episode, we're not going to turn over every stone. We're going to leave some stones unturned. Um, But we just want to touch on this a little bit because we don't want to appear tone deaf like we're talking about sacred marriage and this is a uh, monumental issue or topic in the culture. And so I'm just kind of wondering, what is the godly, loving response to this cultural phenomenon that's afoot, that is, to be specific, uh, people of the same sex or gender um, going through with marriage relationships? Well, there again, you know, so I kind of touched on it earlier. Um, And let me say this first. Like, when I hear the word sacred, I think of, like, something that's set apart specifically for a a purpose. And in this case, it would be we're trying to set apart God's best version of what marriage could be. In, in my mind. So that's what's sacred, keeping God at the center of it. I, I don't certainly mean to imply everything else is not as sacred. It's okay. just this is what God says is his best way of doing yeah. it. So if I want to try to live a life that's centered around God, I'm going to try to live my life that way. Certainly our society and our culture, our, our legal system has said that a man and a man can be married. And here's what I would say on that, and there are probably people who would disagree with that. They deserve the same rights, the same health care benefits, the same opportunities, because that's what our culture has said, right? So no way as a Christian should I be fighting against that, whether I agree or disagree with it. But when I come to Scripture and I try to find examples of that in the Bible, I just, I just don't see it. So you mean I try, examples of? Examples of a man being married to a man, a woman being married to a woman, as, as is prevalent in our society today. So what I try to look for is, okay, what, what's, how does God express marriage? And Again, I think it's one man, one woman for a lifetime. Like that's the absolute best way that we can celebrate that. And I think that um, when we hold that out as the example and the way that God has tried to tell us to live, um, that doesn't mean we have to put down or degrade or pull apart people who choose to do it differently. Um, I'm just going to choose to try to live my life the, the closest way that I can to the way God's revealed to it in the Scripture. So... Yeah, I certainly, I don't want anybody thinking, oh, this isn't a, Heartland's not a place where I could come with my spouse if I'm married to a same-sex person. Like, no, we want you to be welcome here. We're not going to affirm that because God doesn't, the way I understand it, affirm it in the Scripture. Can you explain more what you mean by that word, affirm? So I think there's some, like we get calls a lot here at the church. Is, is Heartland open to people who are same-sex attracted, homosexual, gay, lesbian, bisexual? Um, yes, yeah. Because we're open to Dave Ambrose, 
we're open to people who are addicted to things and struggling with sin and every other thing, right? Um, what we don't do is we don't affirm my lifestyle that's not godly. We're not going to say, hey, Dave, your lifelong struggle with pornography, we're going to affirm that that's okay. We want you to know that it's okay to just come here and keep being you. Um, you don't have to change. You don't have to worry about any of that because that's God's best. Nope. That's, that's not what the scripture says. Like, that's something that I am very prone to, and I want God to continue to work in me and transform. And so I would say the same way with same-sex attraction. And, and when you said earlier we're not going to unturn every rock, like, I would agree with that. And the reason we're not going to unturn every stone is because I don't have all the answers. It could be years from now I look back and go, man, I was, I was wrong about that. Like I try to hold this really loosely and extend lots of grace and lots of love and say it with humility. But um, we're, we're not going to say, like, this is God's best, a same-sex marriage, man, man. We're not going to affirm that. That's kind of what I mean by the word affirm. Okay. Uh, do, do you guys want to comment on that before? I'm yeah, well, I would just, just, I appreciate your humility there in saying that, you know, years down the road you may end up thinking differently about this. I, because I, My own thinking has changed on this so much in the last, I don't know, 10 years. If you had asked me 10 years ago, it would have been black and white, no questions, super simple, homosexuality, all of that is a sin, God doesn't approve, all of that. Now things, everything in my life has become a little more gray, actually, but... Um, I think that means you're maturing maybe, in your faith. Maybe. <laughs> I start to wonder, just going back to the example of the two atheists whose marriage, at least in some respects, at times, may actually reflect the heart of God and or honor God, even if they don't know it. I wonder if the same thing can be true for a same-sex couple. Like, if we're saying that God is love and that anywhere you find agape, you find God, in a same-sex marriage where agape is being demonstrated, despite what you think about the sex act and where your bits should go and shouldn't go, if agape is being demonstrated, isn't Christ at least somehow at work and or honored in that? I want to say yes. Mm -hmm. And the, the Tony from 10 years ago is screaming in the back of my head, you bloody heretic. But I'm just confronted with this reality that, like, man, where I find agape, I, I think I find Christ at work. And I'd love to just put a pin on it and vocalize 10 years ago, Tony, <laughs> and bring to bear, uh, I guess, the ammunition or the, the arguments for why it should be considered mm -hmm. a sin. And I'd just love to honestly talk about it. Yeah, yeah. So just a little bit of research beforehand. A lot of us have heard some of these passages before. I just want to read these. It's in, it's in the Bible. You can go to the back here in the room, open up the Bible, and you'll find it here. NIV, here we go, Romans 1. Here's this. Now, of course, you'd want to do a full book study and chapter study, tons of nuance and culture, but just see what it says for a second. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desire, desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Here's the key part. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men 
and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. And real quick, 1 Corinthians 6, um, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Boy, it's interesting, everyone he includes there at the end, isn't it? Huh. Let's think about that list a little bit. Absolutely. Because we want to focus on on the same-sex attracted or those that are homosexuals, but we don't want to talk about the greedy. The swindlers. 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 Because I think in some ways we all can fall into those categories, right? And it's easy to say, like Tony 10 years ago, and I appreciate your transparency, um, you know, yeah, it was wrong, it was a sin. Um, I hear that from people, and then something happens in their life and their grandchild comes out. Right. And now it's different, right? Because it's personal. So what do we do with that? And, and can someone be um, same-sex attracted but not act on those impulses and live a chaste lifestyle and be a Christian and be a homosexual, right? These are, these are difficult questions. So that's why when I said, I might look back on this in another 10 years and have a different view. Um, I've read lots of books. You know, I'm certainly not the authority on this, but boy, it's, there's a lot to learn, and there's a lot where we could be wrong. And that scripture that sounds so crystal clear, I think some people can use and say, see, that's what it says. But it doesn't talk about how we should treat people like that as a result, what our responsibility as followers of Christ are. And you know, on the other side of that is there's, there's a whole argument about the, the Bible didn't know or talk about the type of homosexuality that exists today. Some would say it was, it was pointing to certain sections of Scripture were pointing to grown men who were taking advantage of young boys um, in Rome. And it was what we know today as pedophilia. Well, I would hope we would all come out against that still. And yet today, like Tony mentioned, there can be a monogamous homosexual relationship between two people that love each other. Is it God's best? I would still say no in my opinion, as I read scripture, but can love be found there? Is God wooing them through his spirit in the, in the gift of marriage to draw them to himself? Yeah, I think so. I so really a couple, just again, in my opinion also, a couple really important questions to ask yourself as you just, you read the bald-faced words on the page. Here are some really good questions for your own interpretive or hermeneutic effort. First, did the author of this 2,000-year-old document mean the exact same thing that I think of when I read the word homosexual? To your point, uh, maybe not. That's worth investigating the cultural context of these letters that a guy wrote to a church to address some issues. There could be really uh, fine-grained nuances that would drastically change the practical application of those passages. Well, I, I would even back that up one step further and say that God inspired that man to write at that particular time in history. Right. Still yeah. different, potentially, yeah. from what we face today. And then also, really important, so I specifically mentioned that I read the New International Version, the NIV. That is but one of many translations that people, just like us, who are more trained in the arts of these ancient languages, um, have attempted to put this into English. So when you read that, are you 
listening, confident that the English version that you have was translated by a group of people that did not come to the table with an agenda or a preconceived theological conviction to translate a certain way. Now, I don't know what you think about the message, but here is a guy also who attempted very knowledgeable about Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, and here's how he translated that very same passage Which, in Corinthians. Just before you read that, to, to be clear, every translation is an interpretive effort, right? There is, there is no translation that is not somebody trying to interpret what did this author intend. Well, there's even different ways translations work. Are you going word for word? Are you going sentence for sentence? Are you going idea for idea? Yep. And yet those are all going to have crazily different results. There's a whole spectrum. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's good, Tony. Just to, sorry, you can so I'm going to read this real yeah, quick go, just go for to it. highlight for the it. difference. Sure. So that same thing we just read with all, nor the this, nor the this, nor the this. Here's how this guy translated it. Don't you, realize that, don't you realize that this is not the way to live? Unjust people who don't care about God will not be joining in his kingdom. Those who use and abuse each other, use and abuse sex, use and abuse the earth and everything in it, don't qualify as citizens in God's kingdom. Totally Very different, different flavor. vibe when I read that. So just my own two cents. I would be careful about you just bring out the revolvers and you have your locked and loaded ammunition of prepackaged little Bible verses when there's this whole world of the interpretive translative effort. What did the author mean back then? You can't just pick out this English word and assume that the author meant the very exact same thing that you think of when you watch your latest Netflix show. This is not, this is not the same thing. All right. Well, and that's the thing is that there's so much at risk by taking a definitive stance when we all acknowledge right. that in our own lives, we are a work in progress, we are learning, we are being shaped and transformed, and so our perspective is changing. But this isn't just something where I'm gonna be right for the sake of being right. Like there are people that could be severely hurt and wounded and turned away from Jesus when our community as Christians choose to, we're just gonna focus on this and shove it down your throat because that, we're right, man. Like, to me, that, there's just, it, it's, it's huge risk for a really low reward, in my opinion. If, it, if it's going to cut off my ability to have a relationship with that person that is real, in which they could see Jesus in my life, then I, I don't know. Like, I'm not going to be, that's not, I'm not leading with that. When I, when and Jesus, and Jesus boils all of that down, all of those laws, all those things, and he, he said, here's what it all amounts to. I need you to love God with everything you've got. I need you to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. So to Tony's point before, love should be our guiding principle if God is love. And at the same time, if I step back and I can just hear the words of my 85-year-old father in my mind, well, what about common sense? If God would have put two women together on the face of the earth in the Garden of Eden... How would the world have grown? How would we have repopulated? This just makes natural sense. Don't make it more complicated than what it is. And certainly the biological sense is part of it, right? But I, I also think, like, why, why did God choose to put a man and a woman together in the Garden of Eden? I think, and this is something I've been learning lately, it's to reveal more of what his character is all about and who he really is. I can't get all of that just in the masculine. 
I can't get all of it in the feminine. But when you put those things together, knowing that God is spirit, he's not a man, he's not a woman. Certainly he reveals himself as father and Jesus, but there's plenty of feminine qualities that he reveals about himself in the scripture. Uh, When we look at that whole picture, we get the whole view of who God is. And I think we miss that when we don't when we don't acknowledge the masculine and the feminine living together in this marriage relationship. Now, let's, let's just talk briefly, sorry, I was going to say before about interpretation. Because I think this is so important. So God speaks. I think people miss this. This is a little off topic. But God speaks. No. The, the person, whoever's hearing it, let's, let's say it's the Apostle Paul, writes it down, Right? And then the person who's copying that is, is trying to copy every word. But the person who's going to preach that or share that, a pastor like myself, now goes to a commentary, which is another interpretation of the interpretation of the interpretation. And now I'm going to give my interpretation. So the, the way that we have to do this is to try to get back as most as we can, closely as we can, to what God originally said in his word, right? I don't know a lot of Hebrew, I know a little Greek. Um, I don't study in the original languages. So I am, really, even as the one who's the lead pastor of this congregation, I'm relying upon other people's interpretations. Hmm. And then I have to ask, and this is where I think it gets really important, I have to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to me. Like, what is the Spirit saying to me? And then there's people in our congregation who have to determine, am I going to listen and follow that guy's interpretation? So the whole interpretive process is really fascinating to me. And some people won't. Some people will be like, nope, way too much mushy-gushy love stuff. I need to go where it's more black and white, where the pastor's going to say it's right or wrong. Okay, like there's a lot of churches out there that are like that. We're not one of them. Like we do not have it all figured out. And what I would tell you is be careful, be weary of anyone who says to you they've got all the answers. Because I just, man... I just have a lot of questions. There's a lot of things I can know, but there's a lot more questions I have as I grow in my faith. Mm -hmm. Any other closing thoughts on this before we wrap up? Well, I don't know if we've really touched on this, but um, (laughs) marriage is just fun. (laughs) You know, like we're getting into all this theological stuff, which is great, but like don't, don't, you know, miss the forest for the trees here. Like I love being married. It's a blast, and I see God in all these little things, right? And in all the blessings that he's given me. And um, the thing I struggle with most is, like, some people say, well, there's not going to be marriage in heaven. (laughs) And I go, wow, like, how could that? That's one I don't have figured out. Like, my mom and dad have been married for 50-some years, and they can't imagine being in eternity and not married. Because it's right. such an incredible so good run. Part. <laughs> what? We had a good run. Yeah, we had a good run, right? Looking at each other across the room. Uh, yeah. Remember all that time? <laughs> yeah, unless that relationship in heaven is even closer and more intimate than the marriage relationship. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what that's like. You know, like the scripture says, we'll see God, we'll be like him because we'll see him for who he is. Like, I can't even imagine knowing someone even closer than I know Melody. Mm-hmm. But, oh my gosh, if that's true, it's going to be unbelievable. Yeah, I'm sure we probably hit this in the sermon, but I would just iterate, like, it's dawning on me. We've been married for, we're coming up on six years, been together for 11 or something now. Um, It's incredible to me how easy it can be to take that relationship for granted and just assume that other person's going to be there and 
yeah, they're part of my life, and or the the sort of pursuing of your spouse takes intentionality. Like, I think maybe you've said this before that in your marriage you're always moving one direction, right? You're either getting closer or you're drifting it's apart. Never static. Yeah, it takes. Yeah, you don't just tread water and maintain. It's like you you have to be intentionally investing energy and attention is the big thing. Investing attention to one another, which is probably the most valuable currency any of us have, is to give somebody your complete attention. Um, and I've just felt increasingly convicted of that this past year, of realizing what a gift it is. Somehow I convinced this woman to, to live with me and to put up with me and to stick with me. Yeah. What a gift that is. Um, and to not become stale in that, but to be intentionally pursuing her and pursuing one another. And it can be, like you said, so much fun. Uh, well, and for so long, there's, there's so many people who talk about marriage as though it's, oh, it's terrible. You know, I got to go home to my old lady. The old or ball and chain. Ball and chain yeah. or whatever. But, man, I just want to change that narrative because, yeah, there's, there's tough stuff. There really is. Like, I don't have a per we don't have a perfect marriage. None of us do. But I can't imagine life any other way. Like, I love my friends. I don't want to go spend, like, I spend two or three days with a couple of guys. I am done, man. Like, I'm reminded myself of why I got married and how I love being with my wife, you know? I remember when she went to uh, visit our son over in the Philippines. She was gone for 10 days. And at first I thought, this is going to be great. I'll have 10 days to myself. Yeah. Like, the first day and a half was kind of cool. Yeah. By the second or third day, I was walking around like a lonely dog. Yeah, you, know? you become a little bit pathetic, don't you? <laughs> Eating pizza, pizza over the sink. Pizza strewn on yeah. the floor. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just walking Coolly around in your boxes. Your boxers. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. See, we can all relate yeah. to that. Look at shadow. myself in the mirror like, what have I become? <laughs> <laughs> this is why my wife makes me a better man. <laughs> and I'm so grateful for that. I just yeah. don't want to miss that in, in marriage, in all of this. Well, and one of the gifts that I found in just a longer marriage, we've been married 27 years this year, is the gift of watching your kids get married. Mm. Like oh, our oldest yes. son got married last year, and it's been incredible just watching them in those early days of marriage in that first year of figuring it out and learning, and maybe every once in a while they'll ask us our opinion, but just a gift of being along for and, the ride. And they with were them. saying the same thing to the, because my son's the same way. And people said, well, you guys are awful young, 22, 23, getting married. They said the same thing to us 30 years ago. Oh, you're awful That's young. Right. You don't have it all figured out. I wish I'd have gotten married sooner. Mm. Now, you know, looking back on it, of course you don't have it all figured out. That's part mm -hmm. of the fun of it. That's well, the adventure. And, and you're going to keep changing after you Absolutely. get married, right? right? Like, I'm a different person than I was seven years ago. And she's Praise a different God, person. Praise God, right? Yeah, I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad. So it's not like you reach this arrival point where we're both just ready and we're going to stay like this and our relationship will stay like this forever. Yeah. It's like, no, it's, com it's way more complex than that. And incredible things happen along the way and tragic things happen along the way, things that can break you apart um, or th and things that can draw you together, right? I mean, there's so many opportunities to become the people that God's created us to be in this gift that we call marriage. And, uh, man, I would just... It's like you asked earlier, like, why? What's so important about it? Um, it's like when somebody becomes a, a follower of Christ. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, I've just followed Christ my whole life. Okay, but wasn't, wasn't there a moment in time that's important for you to mark? Because I'm sure there's times when you're wondering, did you lose your faith? Is it a struggle? At least when you make a commitment in front of people on that special day, you can look back on that and remind yourself when you renew your vows or on your anniversary, like there was a moment in time I made a commitment and a vow to this other person and to God and invited him into this relationship. Mm -hmm. And man, what, a, what an awesome reminder that is.
Amen to all of that. Um, well, if you stuck with us this long, we appreciate it. And just a couple of things I wanted to point you to. We do have a, a marriage ministry here at Heartland. And if you and your spouse are, are looking for um, some advice or just going through a difficult time, we have like veteran couples that would love to come alongside you and mentor you. You can find all of that on our website. And also, if you happen to be listening to this in your car, like on a uh, Spotify or iTunes, you can go to YouTube and watch these and subscribe. That would be the best way to support what we're doing here. Um, so God bless. We'll see you next time.